Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys. Hello, all, and welcome to Kino Kingdom 84. It's a, an action-packed episode, uh, and I've got some—I've got some Godfrey Hope to talk about, which is always a <laughs> absolute pleasure of mine. And there's a film we've both seen as well, um, you know, in in Blue Jean Cop. When uh, the oh god, yeah, the third day of our trip, I, I had to I had to disappear in a flash of light. But what film did you watch? Actually, you were you, you went there the first night. That's right, you went there the first night when we watched. 48 hours but then you yeah. were there the second night we watched blue jean cop what happened on the third night in terms of movies what did we watch the third night i don't even remember uh did you watch the third man on the third night did we watch a movie on the third night i can't remember i remember we were watching blue jean cop yeah that's all we need to know no yeah we did watch something can't remember what it was <laughs> all right so that's not going mean, to be fair i've been drinking heavily all day so I remember not making it through to the end. Mm. It was something that you'd recommended. Not recommended, but, you know, I can't remember. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out uh, somehow. So, yeah, we're uh, we're, we're here. We're fresh uh, in, into episode 84. Hurtling up to the 100, we have to think of something to do, Rupert. Um, mm-hmm. But... Um, there's the first thing I want to I wanna kick off with, and obviously hello to all the listeners, Um you know the actor Adam Scott? Uh, do I? I'm thinking of Andrew Scott. That's in my brain. You'll know when you know you see him. He's he's kind of then. yeah. Well, my, before you look at him on Wikipedia, right? And right. the Wikipedia page is what drew it. He's turning into Harry Dean Stanton. So if you type in Adam Scott and go to his Wikipedia page and look at his face and tell oh, me that, the guy who looks a bit, he's got a bit like, of Wes Bentley about him. Yeah. Yeah. A touch of the Wes Bentley, a kind of like a, a really like a like a council version of um, oh, who's that bloke that I fancy from the Santa Clarita Diet? Um, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like Timothy Oliphant's leftovers, like the Danny DeVito to Timothy Oliphant's Arnie. Oh God, I know what you mean about the yeah, Harry Dean Stanton thing. It's, it's like kind it's of like <laughs> it's like his face, his head stays the same size, but his face is kind of shrinking into the middle. <laughs> Dean Stanton syndrome. Yeah, I just I was looking at Adam Scott that if for some reason I think I was having a I think I was just researching and and I just thought is that Harry Dean, is that like a middle aged Harry Dean Stanton they've accidentally popped up there but no it's him it's him, it's him. <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> that was a, this is our new feature like people who vaguely look like someone. Or gradually starting to look like someone, and they may look a bit more like them when they get older. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How you, you can't, can't high concept you, ideas. You, you can't, you can't say that to um to the listenership though, because obviously what'll happen? You know, the people who email us at the men who talk at outlook dot com, it'll be oh, oh look at this, I found this person, and he looks like Walter Matthau, and it'll just be a picture of their bollocks that they send to us. <laughs> and it's like oh, ha 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 ha, <laughs> but this, <laughs> that's your testicles, that's your distended testicles. Um, did you ever, did I ever tell you about the my um I, 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 as, as an adult father? I don't really do no, well they are fine. The the Krang impression. Which is um, which is when you get you get a pu- 
you get a pint of water, right? Like a like right. a, a clear pint glass, yes. and you 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 hold your shaft and you lift it up, and then you you dip your testicles in the water, and you shake right. them about so the water bubbles, and you keep on saying, "I hate the turtles, I hate the turtles," and it looks like crack. <laughs> <laughs> that's the crying impression uh, i haven't done it for a long time but you know it's, it's, time, to, it's time to bring it back as a 40 year old man with a family <laughs> in, in, in public it's um, definitely a, it's, that's a party trick to resurrect isn't it yeah do you remember there was people just set themselves on fire to that with your friends where they would say oh i got a party trick and then they would just spray links all over themselves and, and just, just set themselves like like ah, that just seems die like, in front of your eyes screaming yeah you're doing a circle watching the boon in total silence just until <laughs> they sort of like fell on the floor and then, ooh, and then just stop moving and then you will like say oh, do you want another drink uh <laughs> yeah, should we show another pizza um yeah. dead let's have another drink <laughs> i never set myself on fire <laughs> i well I, I wouldn't go up a treat anyway because my balls with a crank impression that i was constantly <laughs> doing in my teens the water be splashing all over me to constantly put out any fire that's why i did it it was almost like a just a yeah. you know just in case someone tried to set me on fire um talking of bollocks actually that leads us quite Fireman's nicely to the... pro tip <laughs> um talking of bollocks yes. uh, i can't remember who brought this up but i don't think it was you or i but the boskers the bollocks oscars Yes. Uh, someone, someone suggested this. I can't remember. Was it you or was it? I think it was me because uh, someone asked if, oh, it was some hot trash of a movie and someone jokingly asked if it had won any Oscars. So I said no, but it's won some, it won several Boscars, as in the bollocks Oscars, uh, because it was so, so crap. I can't remember what film it was even. It's just something awful. Anyway, probably... Um, double team i would have thought the jcbd uh was that the film you watched i i didn't see that no we did oh, not watch that God, i would was, like to watch what was the one where they end up we thought they end up going to the white house is that <laughs> it was a film in which from the trailer we thought they were going to go to the white house oh, i've almost got it i've almost got it it had a wrestler in it um and they thought he was going to be a big star this is in the 90s um and the reason it came up was because we talked about double impact i think and they instead of putting money behind double impact they put money behind this awful other action film with this wrestler in it who has no has no charisma Uh, what was it called oh i know the one you mean as well you know the one it, it starts off with like a robbery in a grocery store in a really badly edited action scene oh this is gonna piss me off well let's see if we can something really generic and we were the thing is we were convinced all the way through i don't know where we got this from but there's someone has seen a trailer or something where they talk about like attacking the white house or something like that um and um lance henriksen's in it he's like the leader of these bikers and yes all the way through we're trying to work out they didn't look like it was getting towards the end. It was like, oh, they didn't look like they were getting anywhere near the White House. And the, then, then they don't worry. They weren't going to the White House in like Washington, D.C. They were just going to like a kind of White House equivalent in a different town. <laughs> it's just like just like the, you know, the, the council offices or something. It wasn't. No, it wasn't point of impact. This guy really pissed me off. Lance was... Hendrickson's quite good. At, oh, he's always good. But like he's just. You know, he carries the film, but 
It wasn't one man for right. This this is ridiculous. Let's work this out because this is going to really piss me off. So Lance Henriksen, oh, I have to spell his surname, don't I? Well, no, they'll they'll know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Just get well. Microsoft Copilot. He is out. he is eighty three years old. Yeah, he's crazy. Um, it's great. His best film is obviously Pumpkinhead. Stone Cold. That's what it's called. That was it. Yeah, but, Stone Cold. But the. But it's not Stone Cold Steve Austin, is it? It's, like, it's, it's not a wrestler. You threw me off because it's it's a footballer. Oh. Yeah, Brian oh, Bosworth. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't stop thinking about Rowdy Roddy Piper, um, or One Man Force. But yeah, William Forsyth as well. Yeah, it's um, it's brilliant, isn't it? That film is absolutely astonishing. And it's one of those films as well. There's a lot of them, and it kind of happens. Actually, it happens in in Blue Jean Cop as well, where it shows someone. I don't know if it's just because the technology was new, making like awful food in a blender. As if it's some sort of character trait, because mm. um, it happens in that. I think in that he puts like loads of like chocolate in or something, and then eggs, and then just has a massive sweet. Yeah, like, it's that weird. Yeah, yeah. That that happens in Blue Jean Cop, and of course, and and in in Cobra, he cuts oh, when he puts his scissors sideways or something, doesn't he? And doesn't he, he put like, his he puts his newspaper in the oven and stuff? It's like this is <laughs> these are just idiosyncrasies in lieu of characterization, aren't they? Oh, it's just not like no one would do that. You wouldn't. If I was like reading a paper, I would think, "Oh, I'm I'm so quirky. I'm going to put this in my gr- grill tray in my in my Biko oven." You just wouldn't you wouldn't do it. It's more of a pain to do that than to check it because then the next time you cook something, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, there's a newspaper. It just seems crap. Like it's not. Oh, that's cool." Um, Stone Cold, Michael Douglas served as uncredited producer apparently, and Good. and Lance Henriksen. Apparently, Lance Henriksen stated later that he. He wrote his own dialogue due to the original script having his character speak only in quotes from the Bible. So he had to write his own dialogue. Whew. rough that is. The thing is, he would he would so he would have got the script. And let's be fair, yeah. he's a Sam Jackson. He would have signed up to it before it had hit his hit his welcome mat. He would have signed <laughs> it on the way down. And and it would have and then he would have thought, oh, hang on, all I do is Bible quotes. And then he would have accepted the role on the assumption that he could change all of his dialogue. That is a bold move. That's a bold strategy, isn't it? Turning up on day one of film and saying, I've, I've rewritten all my dialogue. I hope that's all right. Um, <laughs> and for everyone else to be like, yep, completely fine. Yes. Mm. I mean, it is quite a ridiculous idea. So we're gonna we're gonna look at the, the 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 we'll talk about that as well, but we'll talk about the bollocks Oscars and how we should do that going forward because I do like the idea of maybe not having an, an would we have an episode sort of dedicated to the Oscars or would it be um, would it be you know we go along and say you know, in the middle of a review we stop and say there's a Oscar in this film and it, <laughs> yeah maybe that might actually be that could be quite nice okay I think an yeah. entire episode devoted to crap things in films might be very much yeah but yeah. so. I, so if I were to say now the inaugural Oscar to me for like the worst line of dialogue would mm-hmm. be to in Vice uh, where that girl actually misspeaks and they keep it in the film where she says, you'll make me going to cry. And they <laughs> kept they kept it in. Uh, yeah. And that this is more misspeaking in another film recently. Anyway. Yes. OK. That, we'll do that then. So if something truly, truly noteworthy happens, yes. it'll be a, a, an on the spot Oscar where um, perhaps someone's like trousers are higher up than really any other film you've ever seen then we can't have, we can't just it can't just turn into the john claude van damme awards in a will absent without leave aka lionheart I, I do like it with a film when you know like who is going to be in a fight by the height of their trousers that's amazing it was so obvious like 
yeah, you'll get JCVD. He'll be like walking along into like through some streets and he'll come into like, a, I don't know, like a, a basketball court. And you look at his trousers and you're thinking there is gap between the, <laughs> between the bottom uh, of the trouser and the shoe there. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they've got a bit of bagginess to them that you can sell as a bit of stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, jig- like jigging. and you know like the best fighter when when they say oh that guy in the corner playing pool he's one of the best fighters here and jcvd turns on and looks across the room at the pool table and there's a man and the belt is literally above his head and he's literally <laughs> he's got he's peeping out through the fly <laughs> like his trousers are so high that it's like a vertical slit in a mask it's like, fuck his trousers are actually above his head he's, he's better than me like that, that's how the bosses should work in video games it's like yeah. level, level one boss he's just he's just got like low hanging shorts on but the final boss has got them it's almost just like a neck his, yeah. t- his belt is a necklace yeah <laughs> final, the final boss is just called cloud belter <laughs> um <laughs> so, yeah and another thing i wanted to uh, mention before we go into the into the films sorry i've constantly got a sniffle for the last i'm terrible i hate winter it always makes me ill um i don't watch the 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 savalis right you know i really just, but i was working the other day and Faye was watching um you know harlan coburn the author um he's, yes. he's a tv show called fool me once and Faye was yeah. watching and i was sort of um sort of half sort of paying attention to it and the main actor one of the main actors is a i would say a black man in his mid 50s right he's easily easily like late 40s and there are a few other characters in the film in the show who are all mid to late 40s and at the end the 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 denouement the 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 sort of um the the coda of the film or whatever the term is uh it Mm. says 18 years later right and and it cuts back to these same characters 18 years later and they haven't the makeup department has done nothing to them and i thought i was watching thinking that man would be like like approaching 70 and they haven't even like dusted their hair and obviously faye was straight on it and i said that's not two years later (laughs) that's that's two decades of men already in their 40s and 50s and there's no attempt to, for the actors to like to make them sort of shuffle a little bit or whatever That's and so um, i was watching a really bad film not long after it and it cut forward five years and they'd at least put a bit of like chalk dust in there and i thought how how can that happen and i was wondering if you've seen that if, if you come across that in a film where it says you know so many years later and you think is it though because they've also yeah. they've all still got razor flip phones <laughs> 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 yeah, they made absolutely no effort to make to, to differentiate at all between the time zones. Yeah, yes. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, for like the first scene of the film, but someone and they're like, "Oh, it's an iPhone." Is it? Like, yeah, it's the new iPhone one. And then it cuts forward. It says like twenty years later, and uh, and the way it establishes it by someone saying, "I've got the new iPhone 15," and they're just saying, just saying the technology so people know when <laughs> things are set. I got rid of my fax machine. Oh right, yes. Yeah. So you're like, okay, so it's 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 2010, 2011. Yeah. Uh, that would be funny. Guessing the year from the technology available in the movie, that would be a good game. If play. you're watching Cellular, you'd probably get a bang on, wouldn't you? <laughs> 1999. No, probably 2001, isn't it? Okay. There's like a two-year gap when that film could have been made, and that's it. It's just a <sighs> tiny that... window, sliver. Yeah. Well, no, sliver could have been made. No. Anything, isn't yeah, it? that could have been made. Any... Well, no, actually, against sliver, it's. Some films you can just tell by 
you could read the synopsis of some films and know within a few years what when it was released and sliver is it's a mid-90s erotic thriller isn't it probably yeah. written by joe estevez let's face it <laughs> um i that is a good idea for something though isn't it like guess it could you guess the film from a synopsis I know. or could you that, guess it'd oh, be an interesting the... little quiz because you'd have to choose things where it was like pretty obvious like any like It'd be like some home invasion thriller, you know, because it'd be 91 to 93 or something. You, you just reminded me, right, that um, in terms of a quiz, um, do you know that quiz we did, the, the film and TV quiz we did last week, the 20 questions? Yeah. Um, we, really we, had, we had seven and a half out of 20. My my dad and my brother did it when they came up and I asked them the same questions and they got like 12 or 14. So do you want to keep it for next time or do you want to have a go at the next 20 and see how we do? We should, should we try, should we try 10 of them? How about try that? 10. Okay, yeah, let's okay. try 10 okay. because. Let's try 10. Okay. Then we so we can really embarrass ourselves. Who replaced Richard Harris as Professor Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films? Michael Gambon. Maybe? Yes, yes. No, okay. That's one. Keep, you keep track of the scores. Um, what is the name of Peppa Pig's favorite computer game? step into my office it's happy oh. mrs chicken is it? Of course it is. yes weirdly i think i've watched more of peppa pig than i have of red dwarf in the accumulation of my entire life Ooh. um who was who was star of 2019 film uncut gems that's um adam sandler wasn't it adam sandler. That, that wasn't 2019 that was brand new isn't it <laughs> like, that feels like it was brand new. 2019 yeah. jesus cool that's five years ago now. That's in the long. in the in the Muppet Christmas. Yeah, if, if he was in that, if he was in a Harlan Coben film, though, he wouldn't have aged a day. So don't worry. Um, in the Muppet Christmas Carol movie, what part does Miss Piggy play? Um, she's not one of the ghosts, is she? She's also not Scrooge. She could be one of the ghosts, couldn't she? <sighs> oh, should we say Ghosts of Christmas? Pash, the one who's always hitting him in the bollocks and stuff. Well, no, she probably doesn't kick him in the bollocks in the Muppets movie, but it's <laughs> Scrooge. Okay, okay. Well, it's got to be one of the ghosts. That's cheap. Oh, bollocks. She's Mrs. Cratchit. She's big sense. She's Percy. Percy the Frog. Kermit the Frog's wife. <laughs> Percy Frog. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, Pixar movie Wally is set in the future in which year? It's 1996, isn't it? <laughs> yes, no, 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 it's 1998 because at one point soldier with Kurt Russell. On the um, <laughs> it is. Oh, it's it's hundreds of years in the future. So I, it must I'm, be a specific year, like 2100. I'm going to say 2254. That is specific. What? So the okay, all right. Craig, it is a specific year. 2805. 28. Jeez. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I remember them saying 700 years. Okay. And he's still running on rocket batteries from Hypervalue. Okay. Who directed the coming-of-age drama movie The Last Picture Show? Um, Peter Bogdanovich? Well, yep. Thank you. Yep, that's good. So what, what's that now? Two, four, six. Okay, seventh question. What does Tom Hanks compare life to in Forrest Gump? Lesser no. Eddie Murphy films? <laughs> um middling, middling sci-fi horror films with Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> Life is like a box of Terry's all gold. Okay, so that's we got five so far. How many more have we got to go? 
Uh, I think we're on. What's this now? So that's two, four, six, seven, three left. Okay. In in which oh. UK in which UK town is the office set? I know this. This is Slough. It is. Yeah. Even though I've never seen an episode of it. Who became the first woman to win a Best Director Oscar in 2010 for The Hurt Locker? Isn't that Catherine Bigelow? Thank you very much. The song "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend" appear in which movie? Uh, <laughs> Seven Year Itch. Okay. Gentlemen oh. prefer blondes. Uh, so, so how? What do we get out of ten there? Seven out of ten. So actually, hey, that's yeah. A- that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm pleased with that. We should start a movie podcast. Okay, I've got four movies, including one you've seen. So how how do you want to how do you want to do this? How many films have you got flying around? I've got a few. Should we start with Leave the World Behind because we've both seen it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so Leave the World Behind is on Netflix, <clears throat> and it's a end of the world mystery thriller. Uh, and it's about a family uh, with uh, parents of Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke and their two kids. They arrive at this remote Airbnb and it all seems very idyllic. And then all the communications go out and the and then the supposed owners of the property arrive. Uh, the dad is played by Mayor Charlotte Ali. And there are these emergency broadcasts and weird stuff starts happening. And it slowly becomes apparent that some kind of global event has occurred. And they seem to be trapped there and they've got to work out what has happened whilst not losing their minds and losing their rag with each other. Uh, Now, you liked this more than I did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. We've we've gathered this because from when you said I enjoyed this. Um, So. I didn't like it that much. I thought it was okay. okay. I enjoyed it while it was on but then the i a cursory thought about the film maybe realize actually hmm it could have been a lot better i think what did you like about it well obviously the cast is amazing yeah i i think the um the, the i the people weren't believable at all but as like in this sort of hyper hyper reality i was kind of happy with it what i really liked okay. about it was I liked the whole mystery of it at the start. I mean, this is, it's going to be hard to kind of get hip steep without spoilers, but um, it, I, I'm obviously a fan of Ethan Hawke. And well, there is that. when it sort of started off and it was, it was all a, it was a bit of, okay, what's happening with this family. And then other characters get introduced and it's like, okay, what's happening with them. And then this sort of reality, the situation unfolds. And I was with it until I was waiting for, for, for there to be a reveal that I thought, oh, for fuck's sake. But actually, that, did, that did, didn't that did happen. And I can't remember the last time that happened in a film when I was, you know, when the film ends. Waiting to be and, disappointed. Yeah. And as when the film ended and ha- as as it all sort of came together and then it it was sort of explicitly stating the situation that yeah everything was in, I was kind of happy with that. And I thought it told an interesting story because it, it was – the story of this film is up until the point a normal film would normally start, if that makes sense. Oh, okay, yeah. I like that aspect of it, yeah. So I like the fact that it kind of was... I was being drip-fed information, and at no point did I think, oh, fuck this. <laughs> it's it's really interesting that you, you say all that, because 
my issue with the film was that mystery element uh actually because i thought it has got an, that annoying modern narrative tendency of like holding back a whole bunch of key information and kind of um and kind of uh, presenting it as some sort of mystery that's going to be revealed but you know there's this theory behind what's happened here within the first 15 minutes and it's exactly what has happened so there's no the mystery is completely contrived like like the in terms of like the characters like like there's, there's this whole mystery of like for example whether these are the real owners of the house who come along there's this contrived conflict between the daughter character um daughter of uh, ali's character uh just hating julia roberts for some reason and but i thought i thought that all these elements were just a bit of a smoke and mirrors trick to to keep us watching you know like a a tv series will annoyingly just hold information back and then have a dramatic cliffhanger at the end of the episode to kind of make you watch the next bit i've seen lost i've seen lost yes i've seen lost and then you go to the next episode and it turns out to be not nearly as interesting as the setup sort of thing. It just seemed yeah. like constantly that kind of thing to me. Because I thought there's some really cool individual scenes in the film. Like, like I really like the bit where the driverless cars were going crazy and crashing into each other. And I thought, well, it, I, I think I would have rather if the film had just shown its hand earlier and had fun with the concept rather than turning it into like a mystery and just having slightly odd things happen like flamingos landing in the yard and little deers hanging around in the bushes i don't know i thought i kind of would have rather it was just a bit more straight up i think you you're talking about those individual scenes holding your attention and um I thought it was a really pretty film. So what, yeah, it, rem- it reminds me of things like what was I think I can't. It's not Chef. There's a film I watched recently with. Um, oh, the one with uh, with uh, Ray Fiennes in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it's that was that was a good looking film. Yeah, and again, it's a, and, disappointing at the end. Yes, yeah, and and it was it, and that gave me the same kind of vibe where I was kind of happy to happy to not. I was happy to switch my mind off and not try and work out the plot but just to go with the film on a superficial level to just be like entertained and i thought in this there was some scenes like when they were like pouring and drinking wine and because the and the the way that everything was presented and the fact mm-hmm. it was all in such a small most of it is just people talking in like a really nice house i i was just thinking oh, i kind of I'm, I'm, my eyes are enjoying watching this film and there are I, yeah I, and, I, I, and, like and I think so I can see why you would like people would because I was surprised afterwards when I went online and it's just uh, everyone I spoke to everyone I spoke to apart from me was out, outright hated it and you 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 were the, you were like it's all right but I was disappointed by it but I yeah I was I mean now that it's one of those films that now that I've seen it and I, and it and I know know it I would never really go back to it but I, I go back to very few films anyway so that's not really well, a fair yeah. point but but. I didn't come away from it feeling cheated, and I think sometimes with these films where they are, there are there is a, a slowly uh, unrolling narrative. There's always a point, usually like halfway through, that I I just lose interest, or I think for fuck's sake. But for whatever reason, this this kept me 
kept me intrigued. And yes. when, and even in the few final sort of moments, I thought, okay, I can, co- I can cope with that. And maybe my expectations was of this type of film are so low. Yeah, but that that's enough, if you know what I mean. Because, yeah. or maybe if I'd watched a couple of films like you say, like this, where it's a a modern trend in the narrative to to, to unveil like this, maybe I would have just thought, oh, you know, for fuck's sake, yeah. just burn out the. But I no, I I I do. I do regardless of what other people have said I, I it hasn't changed my opinion on it i don't feel like i need to reevaluate it i just enjoyed it as a as a slowly unraveling sort of uh, possibly supernatural thriller i could watch those actors sitting around having conversations drinking wine in nice surroundings all day that's absolutely <laughs> fine i thought you were but... going to say i could watch those actors just sitting around just having just saying they don't even just gathered having sex <laughs> um but yeah it's like you said because they didn't act like in any way like real people it it brought me out of it a bit i would have rather they i mean i think i just think it would have been, it could have been better if they like i said just show their hand earlier and just and then we watched kind of the fallout from from that I, it didn't. I don't feel it really needed this contrived sense of mystery to it. The film with Ray Fiennes was called The Menu. The Menu. Yeah, that was. That's a gorgeous. That's a sumptuous film for the eyes. Yeah, because with this, I, I specifically remember a scene at the start when the owner comes back, or the supposed owner of the house, yeah. and it causes like Julia Roberts' reaction is so extreme, and yeah. it's it. They're so this to me. They were so clearly the owners for for like a handful of reasons, and. I said to Faye, like, if I was Ethan Hawke, I would say, can I speak to you in the next room for a minute? And then I would say, can you stop being such a fucking stupid bitch? Like, you're just being, you're being a stupid bitch. And like, like, because it was so preposterous and he was such a sort of, he's such a sort of wet rag. And you just think you're making, this is, this is obviously, there's something larger than the situation we're dealing with here. And, she was worried about the children. It's like, if you're that worried about them, right, just say, oh, this is a very unique situation. Kids all in the room with us. We're all going to crash out the same bed and me and dad are going to take it in turns to stay awake until the morning sort of thing. That's how I would have dealt with it if there was yeah. any kind of, but they they dealt with it in the worst possible way. So there were multiple times when I thought, why are they doing this? But again, my interest overrode all of that. Yes. Okay. I mean, I I think overall, upon reflection, I think, uh i love everyone acting in the film but i ended up feeling a bit indifferent towards the film which tells me that it's it's probably a mediocre film (laughs) elevated to averageness by the cool actors that's probably where i'm i'm with it no that's that's fair enough um i just one one thing as i was when you said we're going to talk about this because we didn't mention this before before starting recording if you go on the Leave the World Behind just on Google, it's got like 11,000 one out of five ratings. And it, and a lot of – someone has said – I don't know if this is a common thing. cannot believe this is happened to a review section on Google. People are just copy-pasting reviews. Um, why is this film getting so much hate? But what? why is it getting so much hate? Like, I, I didn't know if that was a thing you were aware of. Because like no. you say, it's, it's a middling – I mean, I enjoyed it, but – it just seems strange that, that we, I didn't know if it was like a you know the female Ghostbusters sort of thing if there was a known because <laughs> I didn't read the news but no fair enough if you don't that's fair enough yeah it I, 
it looks like it's been review bombed, but it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's not great, but it's fine. You know, it's an enjoyable time, and if you like the actors, which you should do, then good. Kevin Bacon's in it as well. Good. Um, right then, what's next? Uh, I've got one, two, three, four, five, five, five uh, more. You, you, go on, go on. You, you do one, go on, because you, you right. yeah. I'll talk about the seventh sign then. Have you seen this? Um, is it is it the is it a prequel to the ninth configuration? No, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Um, <laughs> it's on Prime though, uh, as you'd expect, and it's an absurd apocalypse thriller from 1988, starring is that Andy McDowell. I can see. Oh, it's Demi Moore. Thank uh, God. Demi Moore. Yeah, it's a fresh face Demi Moore pre Ghost, I guess. Um, uh, and Michael Bean and Jurgen Proshnov. Yay! Avoid. Latter to both Sans hair product. Um, there are basically like three plot threads in this film. Uh, Michael Bean plays a lawyer who's defending a guy with Down syndrome who killed his own parents. Demi Moore is pregnant with their first child, uh, as in she's married to Bean, and um, and the child is virtually a miracle after a previous miscarriage. And then Jürgen is this kind of wandering supernatural prophet type guy who f- is foreseeing a biblical apocalypse um, and takes a slightly unhealthy interest in Demi Moore because she has something to do with this prophecy. So the main thrust of the drama involves Jürgen Proshnov being creepy and warning of this catastrophe to come. And then you've got Demi Moore chasing down various apocalyptic signs in turn until she gets the seventh one, obviously, um, and possibly fulfilling part of the prophecy herself. Who knows? And then you've got Michael Bean basically wandering around thinking it's just a load of old twaddle. Uh, and you, I, I think Michael Bean might be onto something, to be honest. Um, <laughs> this film, it's too self-serious to be fun. Because uh, you can imagine, like, Roman Polanski or something turning it into a kind of wickedly funny thriller. Um, but this has that kind of like Mothman prophecies problem where uh. we're expected to take everything at face value unambiguously and it doesn't dare to acknowledge, let alone embrace its own absurdity, which ironically makes it actually come across even sillier. The, the performances are pretty poor all around, but I did enjoy Michael Bean and in this film and his constant sense of disbelief because he's basically the character who's voicing what we're all thinking. Like there's a scene where his, his wife calls him at work and just starts ranting about how she's part of this apocalyptic prophecy. And he's just <sighs> like, can I just crack on with my work, please? Honestly, this is really, really unhelpful. I'm actually, it, this is quite an important murder case, and you are phoning me up, going bonkers. Fine. I, just, um, I just, I just have visions of like Michael Bean just, just sort of frowning, and, and like all these sort of people having these conversations in front of him, and then whenever anyone turns to him and say, "What do you think, Mike?" He's like, "Well, it's all just a little bollocks, you know." <laughs> and, but like say, saying that to every question he's asked, yeah. uh, suddenly he's a drunk from the West Country. Um, <laughs> It, obviously, it's it's all sort of biblical prophecy type stuff. It doesn't quite fall into the Christian filmmaking category, I wouldn't say, 
because you do get there's some heavy involvement from the Jewish sect in this film, but it does have that very po-faced, contrived sense of dramatic gravity, which relies on the audience's innate fear of God's wrath. But I hold no such fear, so it just seems ridiculous and cheesy to me. I'd say it's probably worth watching for the over-the-top performances. And it's quite nice to see Michael Bean just playing a regular Joe Schmo for once. Um, so, yeah, it, like when when he's like the kind of gentlest, chillest person in the room, then um, that's quite an unusual event. But yeah, Jürgen Prochnov in this film. Oh, my God, he's overacting. <laughs> astonishing. So is Michael Bean so creepy from the start because he basically rocks up like right at the start to um, because he wants to know more about Demi Moore. So he he becomes like a lodger there. The first night he's just instantly really creepy, saying like really weird stuff and telling these odd stories about when a starling lands on your windowsill. It's some sort of sign from God and stuff. And it's like you'd just be like, is this the right thing? Maybe we should have had some sort of probation period or something. It's bonkers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's quite amusing. But, I just, yeah, it doesn't really have a sense of humour and it needs one. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, so Michael Bean's character in this then, the sort of um, the, the laid back, gentle, sort of calm person, slightly different to how he was portrayed in Time Bomb where he had a bob in his brain and he was he was dashing around in that film he was keen to get that bob out of his head Rupert he, wouldn't you yeah um, if it went off in his head would it end up like Mission Impossible 3 oh well there's like a one eye on the light switch one eye on the yep one eye on Mission Impossible 2 one eye on Mission Impossible 4 uh, <laughs> this is uh, the script's opposite ends of the room um, the, uh, this is a film that I've never I don't think I've ever seen the cover, ever heard of, and yeah, why did why did you why did you watch this? Because it had Michael Bean and it was nineteen eighty eight, and uh, actually that's well, part of it was because I saw like the thumbnail image and I thought, oh, that's Peter Weller, so I decided to click on it and watch it, and then I realised that is not Peter Weller. Well, you, you, assume, a, another, that, you assume that another silhouette, gaunt, tall, gaunt man with no product in his hands. <laughs> It could have been anyone. It was Lance Hendrickson. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to watch that review. I've never heard of it, and I'll probably never hear of it after this I conversation. Don't I don't think you've never heard of it before, and you'll probably never hear from it again. It says here that it's an apocalyptic drama horror film. You, from what you yeah. said then, it just sounds... Is it horror, though? Are there any horror elements in it? Not really. I wouldn't say... Does anyone ever walk up the stairs with their, their hands like out in front of them, and you just see them lit up by silhouette? Uh, no, there's no references to Nosferatu in there, no. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Nosferatu, well, there's a remake, isn't there? Robert Eggers is making a remake, as in The Witch That'll, Guy. Do you know, I was about to say, I was about to say then, I don't really care about that, Rupert, but then you said it's Robert Eggers. And yes. I, you know. I, I, the reason it popped into my head was because, well, the fact you just said Nosferatu, but also apparently it's being shot on film. So that is good. It's not being shot digitally. Good. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Should we, uh, because we've both seen it, shall we talk about Shakedown, aka Blue Jean Cop? Ooh, yeah, I think because you might need to. I think you're more familiar with this, so maybe you could provide us with a synopsis if you dare. <clears throat> yes. So, so um, Roland Dalton, played by Peter Weller, 
is a, a a defense attorney and he is defending a drug dealer who is in a, a park in New York City who shot an undercover cop and he claims he shot him in defense because the cop uh, was a was a blue jean cop the film's terminology for an undercover cop and was there to shoot him out of a sort of racially motivated crime not to arrest him as a drug dealer as an undercover cop and uh Peter Weller just just believes him just completely believes him thinking about it now there's no proof no proof um yeah just just thinks that you know this 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 is uh injustice due to the police department and uh is sort of out to get him off and Sam Elliott good and his iron curtain of a haircut uh astonishing is is a, is a cop that sort of does undercover sting operations and he is becoming more and more worried about the unentrenched in the um in the corruption in, in his department led by a man with a sensational mullet kind of looks like again just looks like one of the main bad guy this sort of looks like one of Kiefer sutherland's elbows like if he was cloned from like a bit of his pup or something, because it's like, ugh. and he also looks like he's gone to have gone to have a haircut, and then they've done half of it, and he's like, da, 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 that's it, that's enough, <laughs> leave, leave the length, take off the thickness. Uh, so yeah, um, I watched this film and I absolutely adored it, and, it, and it's, this is 1988 as well, actually, and I really thoroughly enjoyed this. And it's an astonishing I, film. I'm glad you got to watch it. I got the impression when we watched it in the group that I loved it more than everyone else. So I'm intrigued to know your thoughts about it. Cause I, uh, I, this, this was like a real hidden gem for me. It's, it's like, it's too competent perhaps for a crowd, uh, of <laughs> drunken idiots, perhaps, you know, like, um, it's, it's a more discerning, like trash thriller from the eighties. In a way, yeah. because it's like it's got oddly good like camera work and stuff, and the editing's quite good, and there's some good stunts in it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And it, no. it's, I was struck by the fact that Sam Elliott, even though there's actually only like four years between Sam Elliott and Peter <sighs> Weller, but from this film, you'd think there's about twenty years between them. They, they, they could the be like they could be gets, uncle and nephew. I know. Yeah, but Sam Elliott is like the main like action star in this movie he gets to do like all the ridiculous stuff like like the scene where he's in like what is it the second floor the uh, second floor I was, apartment I was hoping you'd mention this yeah and they, there's they, a the guy he's like after is like on the ground level shooting a uzi at him so the natural thing to do would be to run downstairs where you can't get shot on the way and you make it down pretty quick but no he doesn't do that he just gets into the line of fire, climbs onto like a, a sign and the sign bends off the building and, and like comes crashing down onto the street and he goes flying. And it's like, well, that could you could have just been dead. You could have been shot easily. You, it, and also the sign he climbed onto, the neon sign, yeah. clearly didn't reach ground level. There's there's a oh. sort of there's a sort of what's the word like a. An opening shot, or like a what's the word, like a, a shot that shows you, like you know, this is where shot. establishing shot. Thank you, and it's mate. You can see that that sign does not reach the floor, so he climbs up on it, and then it's lucky that it pulls away from the building, and he falls on top of a bus, which in turn swerves in the way of like a like a motorbike with a sidecar, and also as that happens in the time it takes him to get 
so him and Peter Weller are in the room. They find a corpse dead. They look out the window. They see a guy shooting. Peter Weller goes on the stairs straight away. He's like, I'm mm. going on the stairs. Sam Elliott does this uh, sign bus, rolls on the floor. Um, but Peter Weller's out there before him anyway, so he could have just avoided all that. Um, but it really tickles me because in this film, every single decision Sam Elliott makes, every single action sequence he's in, he just there's like no care for the public. Again, absolutely fantastic. nothing. Absolutely the fairground nothing. scene is astonishing. Yeah, the fairground scene where he, he, he says someone he's like fishing. He's wearing like thigh high fishing waders, and he two sort of young punks get a drop on him, and then he sort of gets the better of one and sort of handcuffs him to a railing and turns to the other one who's got a knife and says, I know what you're thinking. You're young and fast and I'm old and slow. And then the kid just does run off and he goes, oh shit. And, <laughs> and I thought there was going to be like some clever line, but no, he's like, oh fuck, that didn't work. And then just runs after him in this really wonderfully like clumsy chase. And um, yeah. And then and they again, end up on a fairground ride and with complete and wanton disregard for anyone's safety openly shooting in a, in a fairground and, all, and also like the way he takes him out is by basically disabling or rather breaking like like a roller coaster so it goes out of control so he the yeah. bad guy flies off through the air just crashes yeah. through a lot of stalls like good good dead like yeah. multiple also, people dead this also what i really liked about this film is there's there's a there's a sort of subplot with peter weller and his uh who's with a a young uh <laughs> Like rich, like wife, sort of the daughter of like a obviously like a really wealthy businessman, and he's sort of her suitor. But then he just, the, of course, the prosecuting lawyer in his trial is like his, his ex, and he just gets back with it. And and it tickled me because I thought it was going to slow the film down, but it's genuinely funny, like how close to the knuckle he's playing it. Like like this one part, ridiculous, passionlessly yeah, yeah. kissing this woman outside, the and and he like slaps her ass as she walks off. He turns around and like his his wife and her father are like there, and you yes. can see him like fucking oh like he, and and it just tickles me. Just there's <laughs> something about Peter Weller, like even because in all this, in all this like sort of buddy cop action great like sax music and like like you said just really 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 great sort of uh cinematic action you've got like a love plot that's oddly funny and quite endearing and then you've also got um like courtroom drama as well that's kind of silly but but fun and i think it's just because peter weller is just really charming like bizarrely charming and again another way he gets he gets a, a judge's a judge's sort of ruling that he can get evidence out of the police lockup, and he goes there, and the sort of dodgy cops snap off a key in the lock and say, "Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, we shut now. I can't get this till tomorrow morning." And instead of saying, "I've got a court order here. Can you get some bolt cutters?" and he not he goes outside, he waits till the police station is quiet, and then breaks into the police station, gets caught, and then Sam Elliott bursts in, shoots two cops dead in a police station nothing's nothing's made of it nothing is made of it the film just rolls on regardless and it's just that (laughs) brazen disregard it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic policing yeah uh yeah it's just i I, it's a real hidden gem there's so much there's so much i'm missing so i've seen this twice now in the space of a month and yeah i'd happily watch it again and i i i was watching it initially with with my brother transvaal and i was i just kept thinking how has this film passed me by like how this i i could have been enjoying this for the last 30 years uh and it's it i think it's one of the best like action films of the 80s it's up there with something like 
Tango and Cash or Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man is like, okay, they're not top tier action films, but if if you click with them, they're great. And it's Sam Elliott and Peter Weller. You know, this is like it's not it's not Brian Bosworth, yeah. <laughs> Chuck Bogosian or whatever, Eric Bogosian. <laughs> um, yes, I think this is it's definitely is like a a little there's a, a small group of underrated 80s cop silly cop thrillers which are just brilliant and need to be seen by more people so this and uh to live and die in la and the hidden they are films which yeah. just need to be seen uh for various reasons i mean they're all quite different films but there's something just they're just like genuinely like just really really watchable films uh because of because of just the way that the actors just throw themselves into these ridiculous scenarios uh and they're kind of and the fact that they're kind of forgotten not even to the point where they're not even really cult films like because it's not like there's there's not like there's uh you know cult of people just like hankering (laughs) for something like uh blue jean cop or the hidden you know these are these are actually quite lost movies so we need to bring them to light again absolutely yeah absolutely like i would like if there was if there was a cinematic showing of this i would watch it like this is this is to me like um like watching nightbreed you know do you just think why does why does everyone not think this is amazing why isn't this just mentioned in the same breath as like commando or what, what's the problem with it why is it um it's this is also worth mentioning that um Obviously, Sam Elliott, to a lot of people, is known from his scenes in The Big Lebowski. And there are scenes in this set in a bar where you can tell the Coen brothers saw this. And they're kind of like his positioning of his face, that kind of look, looking down his cheek mm. as he talks with that like drawl. It's it's almost it's almost like a scene for scene matchup of how he talks and how he sits in The Big Lebowski. That's true. So, yes. Um, but yeah, this uh, this is definitely a shakedown or blue jean cop, however, whatever it's called in your in your sort of area. Definitely, you reminded me that as well. You you were talking about uh, lost films. Faye, obviously being a makeup artist, is a big fan of V Neil, who has done a lot of uh, makeup with Johnny Depp and stuff. And she was watching something the other day, and it was like a, a an interview with V Neil, who was a woman in like her seventies, at some sort of convention, a sci fi convention. And one of the right. questions, I was just sitting here, I wasn't even listening really. Well, I was obviously listening, but I was pottering. And I just heard someone say, oh, what can you tell us about your work on Tourist Trap? <laughs> and I nice. thought, that sounds familiar, that film. I know that film. Oh, and do you remember yes. the one with, yeah, the yeah, one yeah, with yeah. Chuck Connors, that sort of late 70s, again, another like hidden gem. Uh, where it's like film, yeah. two brothers in like a in like a farmhouse and all the weird mannequins. That's the film that starts off with the kids outside a gas station where they go in and there's clearly a, a supernatural experience where someone yep. gets killed by ghosts and it is never referenced again. Um, so yes, uh, so your shakedown, tourist trap, the hidden, all films that people need to really revisit and or, or, or rediscover or just discover for the first time. Okay, uh, where is? Where is Blue Jean Cop available? Let's find out. It's called Shakedown, isn't it? In yeah. Well, I'll tell you where I found it. It was on a, a four-in-one Hollywood DVD that my brother gave me from a charity shop in Cardiff. So that's uh, one of those, I'm afraid, for me. Is is it available? Nothing. Nothing, nothing on it's Just ridiculous. Watch. It doesn't show it. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's insane, isn't it? Uh, right. Let me talk a l- briefly about 
Wonka probably should have talked about this a while ago because it's not in the cinema anymore. But I watched <laughs> Wonka, which is the new film from Paul King, who's the guy who made the quite charming Paddington movies. And it's mm. about a young Willy Wonka played by Timothy Chalamet, Timothée Chalamet. And he arrives in Paris to find his fortune making magical sweets. Yeah. But it's a bit of a struggle because he's effectively kept in captivity by these evil landlords and he and the other captives need to work together to bring his vision to life from within the confines of their incarceration so this isn't this isn't a yet another remake of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate no, Factory this, this is, is oh, like right, a prequel okay. type thing um, and it's pleasant and wholesome and it's got lots of wit and invention but it does drift inexorably into predictability in the final act it definitely shows off timothy chalamet's range i would say because it's very different role from the, like the intensity of dune or the internalized drama of like call me by your name so it's nice to see that side of him i think my slight issue with this is it's got very much the same kind of tone as paddington where it's very wholesome um, sort of a lot of slapstick comedy and it's all very kind of innocent but I think Paddington got away with that sickliness because the main character was basically a child so you were always observing everything through these innocent eyes whereas actually when you think about it Willy Wonka is quite an aggressively ambitious entrepreneur and he is an adult so that sense of innocence and purity is a bit harder to swallow but and I I, I didn't think it was a bad film. I'm I'm guessing that there's some critic out there who's compared this movie to a confection. I it tastes good as it melts in the mouth, but then it's gone. That kind of thing. But that is how I felt because it, it's nice when it's happening, but nothing more really. And like I remember enjoying the songs because yes, it is a musical, but I uh -huh. can't, I can't remember a single one of them. So uh -huh. which does isn't a good sign. Because sort of every musical needs a breakout earworm, doesn't it? Like, I haven't even seen Barbie, and I've heard I'm Just Ken a million times, so I, <laughs> but I didn't get... There wasn't really a standout in this. Nothing in it really stood out particularly. It was just pleasant enough as it went along. So inoffensive, I'd say, but not not up to Paddington standards, I'd say. Paddington so 2 is amazing. Yeah, so who had Pantus and obviously Hugh Grant is in that, whom I'm in a relationship with, actually, I forgot to mention. Hugh is Grant's he in, in this as a, uh, what's it called, well, the Oompa Loompa, and it's quite, it's quite a kind of amusing special effect they use, he's got like a really big head, and his character is quite funny, actually, um, but again, like, it's just, it's just like a pleasant little cameo, really, more than anything. Is he doing an impression of uh, Griff Jones like he was in The Gentleman? He, no, he's doing the posh Hugh Grant in this, I think. Uh, yeah. Is he in the bar? He's old enough to be in the bar, isn't he? I think so. I think I, although I'm a little bit put off by his constant grumbling. <laughs> I, I don't think he's old enough yet to be a cantankerous old man. So I think he should tone that down a bit. 
Oh come on! No, I'd pull your skirt up. He's in the bar. Okay. I've given him a I've given him a guest pass. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, did you watch this? Is this like a film you'd watch with kids, or is this like a family film, or did you just watch it? Yourself? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a family film. I uh, no, I do, It's not for very young kids, I wouldn't say. But yeah, it's I mean you, it's yeah, like the Paddington movie. It's like for slightly older kids, didn't you? Love it. Oh, fair. Fair enough. Well, I watched a quite an average film, Rupert, uh, directed right. by John Lee Hancock called The Little Things. This right. is a Denzel Washington film that slipped me by. Um, in fact, have you have you heard of this? Because uh, this was on Netflix. And Faye's a big Denzel Washington fan. And I kind okay. of thought, I thought that he was kind of incapable of making a making a film that I wouldn't enjoy because he's made some absolute belters. Um, but do you remember? Do you remember uh, recently you said something to me about Denzel Washington about some sort of character he plays in films, and he's mm. done it a bit too often. And I can't remember what it was you said. Can you recall? Uh, he plays the same character in every film. No. Just does he? Is that is that a thing you would say? I I, 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 I don't think he's got the greatest range. But what he does, he does really well. I mean, it's like yeah, oh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of actors like that, aren't there? I mean, Tom Cruise, you know, same. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, I, he's I, a movie he's, star. He's a he's a reliable he's a reliable actor. You, like yeah. he's in a film like you think I'll watch that, um, like Mark Ruffalo. Um, so I was watching. Um, I was I put this on, and it, it's a it's described here as a neo noir thriller, right? And I thought Denzel Washington in a thriller. I mean, we've all seen what's that film called? <laughs> Bone Idol. No, the Bone Collector, wasn't it? Bone Idol. Bone Bloody Idol. Yeah. Bone Eric Idol. Get out there. Go and get a bloody cord on the cob. That's a <laughs> job, by the way. Uh, what were we going to say? Um, no, I... Uh, well, you say neo-noir? Yeah. That's an I'm, I'm, I'm not, I always I'm wonder not, about I'm that. I'm not sure what it means. Does that mean it's just set at night quite I, a bit? Yeah, that's a, that's what I take from it. Like, oh, drive is neo noir. Like, what, what does that mean? Is it just pretty and at night sort of thing with a sort of flood? Yeah, I don't know what it means. Um, but it starts off um, with a, a sort of a girl driving in a car and she gets hassled by a motorist. And uh, in a in a sort of I think he's in a truck. No, he's not a truck. He's in a car. He's just hassling her, sort of just breaking in front of her, pulling him alongside her, and you can't see what it is. And she pulls over at like a petrol station or gas station, exists in America. Pulls over and it's shut. And she runs into a cornfield, and this uh, guy is sort of just sort of slowly walking after it. And it starts off almost like an eighty slasher sort of thing, but she manages to get out of this field and flag down a truck driver. And she gets, and it sort of just cuts, and it just cuts to Denzel Washington, who's like kind of a schlubby cop, you know, a bit of a belly on him, uh, and just sort of just in some sort of rural part of LA, you know, just sort of out, outskirts of a major city, just a, a sort of deputy just pottering around. And his uh, his superior says to him, you've got to take these this paperwork to, you know, to a, police station in town and he's like he obviously doesn't want to go but he goes in anyway and when he goes there and he's sort of saying hello to everyone you get the impression that he's actually a bit of a maverick who was sort of a bit of a genius in his job but for whatever reason he has just moved away from it and just taken a lower paying job just in the sticks where he doesn't have to get involved in all these like really nasty murders and whatever goes on in, in an inner city okay so it's bloody cold in an inner city or oh, so good so far so good 
Uh, and then he, Rami Malek is the head of a task force trying to track down this serial killer. And people at this police station hint that they should get uh, Denzel Washington in t- to help him because this was kind of his... Is, is it raison d'etre? <laughs> and, uh, and he sort of says, oh, you know, could you give us a hand? And Denzel Washington's like, well, I'm going to the morning, bro. I'll, I'll come with you to this crime scene. And obviously he just starts weaving his magic. The problem is, I, I kind of realized about halfway through this film that it had ideas far above its station. And I was... Mm-hmm. I was watching it just expecting like a trashy thriller in in the best possible way, if you know what I mean, you know, just, yeah. but, and, and I've got no problems when someone is like a Sherlock Holmesian uh, detective and they do cool things. You're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see how that's come together. Oh that, yeah. He's obviously knows his stuff, but what does Washington does is just kind of, and it's not, this is going to sound like, Oh, this could be a neat twist. But what he does is he, he kind of acts mysterious and gets really involved in this. Gets really involved in this this serial killer's. Uh, if you can hear him, by the way, the cat's in front of me. Um, he gets really involved in this case, but you can't. It's like, h- how is he helping? I was watching it, and the film was <laughs> making out like the film was kind of making out like, oh yeah, this is this is how he works. Let him do his thing. And I thought, he's not though, is he? He's just kind of. <laughs> just kind of like in the way and and giving people half answers and then just basically like and i realized and jared leto is is uh, the prime suspect in this as like a real greasy pot belly trucker and he's great in it as someone who sort of plays the police uh, off each other yeah. but then again even when there's like a head-to-head with with him and denzel washington i just couldn't shake the feel i thought what what why don't you just tell Denzel Washington to fuck off? Because uh, he's just like not really doing much. And and then the film sort of takes a slight turn. And the the way the last sort of 20, 30 minutes of the film go, with sort of between like uh, Jared Leto, Rami Malek, and Denzel Washington's characters, it's like this... It's The film seems... To be treating the subject matter and the, the decisions of the characters with a depth that I, as a viewer, wasn't exposed to. I, I felt like yeah. this is a, like a trashy thriller. Why has it gone off in this direction? Because now, mm. now you, you've gone. You're like, oh, actually, this is about so much more than these murders. And you think, yes, no, but I don't want it to I be so much more. But I don't give a shit. <laughs> so yeah, and it, it completely lost me in the last 25 minutes or so. And um, I, yeah, there was it, they were like uh, Rami Malek's character. There are sort of moments throughout the film where it's sort of insinuated that he is somewhat, due to his dedication to his job, somewhat of an absent father and husband. But not really. He's just someone doing like a really intense job in the middle of a particularly intense case. But it, then I realized, oh, the, from what you've shown me, I'm just supposed to think that he's like completely at the end of his tether and completely. Like this is swallowing his life, and that, that's really not what I was getting. It was almost like yeah. the, the the film was working off a, s- a script <laughs> that I hadn't seen, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, so I I just thought when it when it went out of that the shallow waters of a silly thriller to something more, I just thought, no, oh, this is just this is Denzel Washington doing that thing he does. 
yeah in a film that he he can't carry because it's just lost its way too much for even Denzel to kind of weave his magic, you know? Oh yeah. So yeah, it's just too, over two hours long as well. And uh, yeah, it just seems to completely lose his way in the last half hour, basically. Would so, you say he's miscast in this film or? No, no, I think Denzel is, 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 is doing what Denzel does in these films, you know, as like a, someone who, a, 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 someone who is, uh, has idiosyncrasies and, quirks and like like cutting his piece with scissors yeah but also there's a scene in this and i thought i'm sure i've actually i've actually seen you do this in another film there's a scene where he talks to corpses and like he'll 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 go to like the sort of coroner's office and he'll talk to the corpses as if they're talking back to him and i thought i'm sure i've actually i've actually seen you do this in another (laughs) film like i i I, I thought have i seen this before and it was one of those films but no I, i haven't it's just uh just really generic and where is this available? This is on Netflix. But you'd say it's only for staunch Denzel completists. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Jared Leto is is a, is a kind of fun character in it, and I mean, I'm not Rami Malek is means nothing special to me, and I know I know a lot of people really like him, but I was there for Denzel, and I just thought that this just had ideas above its station, and I it lost yes. me a little. It's called little. What's it called? Little things. Yeah, the little things. Again, a title that I you just forget the moment yeah, you said exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. They just yeah. It, it's quite a, a a weak title, isn't it? For yeah, I, I, and that kind of this is the thing that like there's a that that's the level the film works at. Like there's a bit in it where um, Denzel says, "Oh, you know, it's the little things. It's the it's the little things, the little mistakes they make. You know, mm. the, and then but that." It's like okay, that might be a cool line. Like, okay, you're looking for these little things, but then the way the film goes, it's actually quite major reveals, Denzel. That, <laughs> that uh, yeah, so no, oh, consequential things that actually mean something else. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's an important line in terms of his method, but it doesn't really sound that good as a title. To say. But no. yeah, um, okay. Uh, let me talk a bit about the adjustment bureau. Uh, bloody hell okay remember this one yeah with um is it rosamund pike and matt damon it's emily blunt and matt damon yes that's Uh, that's what i said there must be a problem with the microphone yeah yeah, it must be um so the plot focuses on this politician played by matt damon who's pushing for senate and ultimately perhaps in the future the white house he meets emily blunt and it's love at first sight and then bunch of interfering dudes in suits turn up and they start manipulating his life and they are the adjustment bureau and they use these magical maps of fate to adjust the direction of important people's li- or potentially important people's lives guiding them toward making the world a better place basically anyway if matt damon falls in love with emily blunt then he'll realize that what he has is enough and his political ambitions will fall by the wayside. Uh, so basically, he wants her. They want him to be president. And it turns into a quite a whimsical chase movie, I suppose. It's quite a crafty little oddity, this one. It's like a romance and a sci-fi thriller, I'd say. And I think the former element, as in the romance part, is engaging and convincing. But the sci-fi part is pretty much a just a constant barrage of exposition and this was this was made in 2011 it was part of that brief wave of post inception movies which 
kind of presented themselves as puzzles to be solved. But right. it, it intensifies the problem of Inception because it requires so much explanation to clarify the rules. Well, I say that it doesn't need to clarify the rules necessarily. It just decides to do so. And and I always think like when a screenwriter spends more time explaining the rules than imposing the rules on characters, I it comes across as a bit like, oh, look at how clever I am. Uh, because a good, of course, a good sci-fi movie won't bother with all that stuff. It would just accept that you've got this conceit and then run with it. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of got me thinking maybe this would work better, this movie, as actually as like an episodic TV series because you can kind of envisage a quantum leap type thing where where one of these dudes in suits is kind of interfering with a different person each episode and making moral choices that way. Uh, but anyway, they made it into a movie and there are too many rules and ex- exceptions to explain in two hours, really. But if you approach it as just a romance movie, not as a mind-bending action thriller, then it's actually more enjoyable. Uh, they've clearly gone for like the goodwill hunting formula and the pa- by pairing the posh English bird with this down-to-earth yank. And it works because the chemistry is very convincing, um, even when the plot dynamics get hopefully hopefully twisted up so i find i think it's an amiable and sometimes charming film but it's also very much dragged down by the weight of his exposition unfortunately i, I remember it being like a surprisingly light because i didn't oh yeah, the, yeah. it's oh, got yeah. very like, a nice lightness of touch to it definitely yeah totally um, it's just yeah it's nice but yeah i, I don't yeah it was one of the films that came out i watched it and kind of i i know of it and i know the plot but yeah i've never really thought about it since what made you revisit it or is this the first time you've seen it uh my wife loves it so oh really yeah i'm not sure i love a strong word, but i think it's i think it's pleasant it's very pleasant and it is very watchable so yeah i can't complain but i will talk about a film in a moment which is not exactly from a similar era but it's it's sci-fi thrillerish and it's it's notable how much better the script is. Oh, we haven't talked about Dark City before, have we? So I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Um, I'll, I'll quickly talk about Mind Cage, which is a film that our friend, a film. Lee, have you seen this? No, I haven't. Uh, it's, this, this was the serendipitous thing. <laughs> our friend Lee watched this and in, a, in a WhatsApp group chat said, I demand that Kingdom reviews this film. And I literally happened to be scrolling through Prime or whatever it was, looking for a film to watch. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes the Lord, the Lord speaks directly to his brethren. And I just watched it there and then. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Um, it's a supernatural thriller uh, starring Martin Lawrence, right? And John Malkovich is in it. And, and, and Robert Nepper, who you'll probably know from Twin Peaks, um, who is a yes. great, great true presence. Um so this when it came up uh, i thought the last time i watched a horror film with uh like a like a comedian like a a, a black uh, american comedian in it it was it was chris rock in spiral and i don't know if you remember what i said about spiral apart from the fact it was a lot of shit was every time chris rock came on screen he basically just did skits like even though he was in a horror film, I thought this could be a chance to sort of reinvent himself. But he just could not stop 
doing bits, comedy bits, and it just completely worked at odds with the film. And in the end, I think I towards the end, I think I just got sick of it and turned it off. Or I think I made it through, but thought you ruined that. You actively ruined that film by just being Chris Rock. And in all fairness, Martin Lawrence in this film isn't isn't doing comedy bits. He is. This is a pretty straight role for him. Like I don't think he cracks a single joke through it. The problem is that he is incredibly miscast, and the film is complete and utter bollocks. <laughs> And that's unfortunately the straw that broke the camel's back. So well, the fact that it's complete bollocks. Yeah, yeah it's not, it it starts off and I will it's a spot, heavy piece of straw. I, w- I know we've got a 20 year rule, but I with films like this, it didn't I'm going to spoil it. OK, because there's certain points I have to drive up. So if you don't want to know any spoilers from Mind Cage, move, move forward. So. This film starts off with. Martin Lawrence uh, and uh, Melissa Roxburgh, who's someone I'm not familiar with. I'm not sure if you are. At all. Mm-hmm. Rings a bell. Let me look her up and yeah, have a goosey on and perceive her with my eyes. No, I don't know who that person is. Um, so she's kind of a young, keen detective, and uh. Martin Lawrence is a sort of supposed to be, bear in mind this is Martin Lawrence, supposed to be the sort of grizzled, world weary, burned out cop, right? Who must live above a Greg's, I assume. He doesn't explicitly state that, but he's, yeah, he's got the app on his phone at least. Um, and, and he gets his birthday sausage roll. <laughs> he's so funny. If like when the driver's around the film, his phone kept going blink, and he's like, "Oh, I got a birthday sausage roll from Greg." And then like she's talking about the case, it's like blink, and it's like, "Oh, I've got enough points of chicken nuggets and burning um, He's just showing off about how he's made like multiple accounts and different email addresses, so he gets a birthday sausage roll every day. <laughs> Martin Lawrence seventy three. <laughs> Uh, go on the same branch of Greg's with disguises on. Take a birthday sausage roll. <sighs> I, would, I would have enjoyed that more. Uh, okay. <laughs> Martin Lawrence with a U at Outlook.co.uk this time. Um, right. Uh, so. It is. There's been a murder in a church, and one of the cops outside says to Martin Lawrence. You're not gonna like this. <laughs> there's, there's no phone service in that church. You can't get your you can't get your alerts from Greg. <laughs> he says you're not gonna like this, and uh, Matt Lawrence is like, oh why? He goes in there, and it's a deeply biblical kind of murder where someone has been like spray painted gold and hung up, and they've had wings attached to them and all this shit. And he's like, oh no, there's a copycat killer of the guy I took down five years ago, whatever. Um, it's got the telltale signs. <laughs> the telltale signs. And so uh, th- this goes on, and they find another one, and it's another sort of, you know, someone on a train yard who's been found in some sort of uh, biblical sort of context in the way they've been posed and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And apparently, it, it, like Melissa Roxburgh, uh, Mary, her character, is she 
it seems to be it's bizarre because she's like oh, for the first 20 minutes of the film she's sort of like oh, what, why does everyone keep on saying you're not going to like this and you're like you're a fucking police officer surely you would you would like just be able to look at the records and see what the problem is why why is this a mystery when you're a police officer in the same precinct as martin lawrence and he kind of unveils like oh yeah well the truth is i took down john malkovich uh the artist is someone who used to do this like say 10 years ago or whatever and it like caused him like a heart attack and a nervous breakdown the stress of the case but john malkovich is incarcerated and he is in two weeks due to be killed and she goes to visit him and he says oh maybe you know i get a lot of letters and i give a lot of people advice and he sort of hints that maybe if you sort of uh hold to my execution i'd be able to help you with this case so what we're left with right is forced drama so you've got martin lawrence seemingly trying to get melissa roxby to like basically become a christian by like taking it to church saying oh this will help and we'll get clues here and then just forcing the bible on her she's like what are you doing and then melissa roxburgh when we see her home life in these brief snippets because the film is so wafer thin in terms of plot and depth and and sort of um lore it, it it'll be like she'll go home and her, and her husband or, or fiance whatever is just this extremely mysterious man that they have no chemistry and he's he's she'll like be eating food and look up at him and he'll just be like staring at her or or she'll walk in a room and he's standing there in the dark and you're like, why the fuck is he doing that? Why? And more, more to the point, why are you with him? Because he's just an odd man. So I thought, well, he must be something to do with it. Of course, turns out he's not, of course. It's just there to add forced drama. Um, and the film rolls on. There, the honesty, Rupert, there are scenes in this film where they're in the car and they're, they're driving to visit John Malkovich in prison. Who's obviously got, he basically looks like Sean Connery in The Rock. He's the same character. Um, and he, the, the green screen through the it'll cut to like Melissa Roxburgh talking about Lawrence and there'll be like an urban background and he'll respond to her and the camera will cut from his perspective and they'll be in the countryside she'll retort and the camera will flip again to Martin Lawrence and they're in a fucking canyon it'll cut back and then they're in space and you're like well there's no like what was this edited together from um, there's even scenes where like he'll like, put the handbrake up as if they stopped at the a junction oh, and yet behind them the scenery rolls merrily on by <laughs> um, so so it's just it just comes across as a really cheap film and there's what happens is the film then and this is Stop listening now if you actually want to watch this, right? The film then just suddenly says, oh, actually, and it ties back to Stephen King, it's supernatural, guys. Just just going to drop uh... it. Supernatural. So it turns out that John Malkovich, the artist, if he draws a picture of someone, he can right. just possess them. He can just possess them. So he a good picture? Well, no, they, they they are good in all fairness. Although it's he's I mean, obviously it, yeah, you wouldn't want to get the wrong person because you can't draw. Yeah, yeah. If you took me over, it'd be fucked. with any person I could take over is like a stick man or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone's dropped some sticks on the floor that make a loose stick man. I can possess that for a bit. Um, so, so it turns out, bear in mind that. that the flashes that we see of the killer throughout the film, whenever there's like a, a, there's a brief, interesting chase sequence, it appears to be someone, uh, kind of lithe, small, maybe female, kind of right. cat-like, very quick. It turns out it's Martin Lawrence, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
she's and the way she finds it out is because she's chasing the killer down in his <laughs> his phone when he's hiding. Goes bling, you've got a great sausage roll. He's moving quick because he's just heard that Greg's are getting rid of the last of the day's stock. Yeah, he's all reduced at the 50p for four. Bling, Martin Lawrence, you've got a birthday sausage roll. Um, so, so, of course, at the end, when it's like it's Martin Lawrence and he's talking and John Markovich's voice is like, ah, I was me. That's why I'm always drinking coffee and I'm really tired because I'm also the killer being controlled by John Markovich. It's such an absolute cop out. And it just doesn't, it's so lazy and doesn't make sense and doesn't explain why there are many characters in the film like a homeless bloke breaks into the house at one point and acts really mysteriously but we find out then that when when John Markovich takes over people it's just normal like they they just kind of erudite like he is so that doesn't make sense why is her husband being so mysterious at the end of the film he's just suddenly like a different character because he doesn't have to be mysterious for the functions of the plot anymore it's awful absolutely awful and lazy and shit and i thought why are these people in this i can understand why melissa roxburgh's in it because she's probably starting off her career and i can understand why martin lawrence is in it because it's something a bit different john malkovich in this film it's oh there's no excuse for anything john malkovich does these days yeah it's so it's um it's bloody awful and it, and it's it's not wonderfully awful it's really boring it's a really boring film with lots of driving lots of dialogue and nothing actually being said well yeah this is on prime isn't it okay but yes yes it's on but probably is on prime i would guess it's on prime yeah it's on prime excellent well thank you for that no problem at thank all. you for spoiling it as well because oh, oh but yeah by the way mm. When I was when I was watching it, I was lying in bed just muttering swear words to myself after watching it. Um, let me just let me just get this right because I read this afterwards. Oh yeah, there's a few things. There's four bits on the IMDb trivia, and they r- did raise a laugh for me. Right, so one of the bits of trivia on IMDb says to prepare for his role as a traumatized seasoned detective, Martin Lawrence put on weight, worked with an acting coach, and employed the method acting technique. Um, Right, so to prepare for this role, he put on weight. Unfortunately, I've seen Bad Boys Three, so unless he prepares in similar avenues, regardless of role, and also you, you've had some, you've got some experience with them, um, you know, mental health, Ruben. If I said to you, I'm going to introduce you to my friend Dave, and he is a traumatized, burned out detective who barely sleeps, would you think he's going to have the physique of John Candy? <laughs> You'd think he was going to be gaunt and really yeah. like twitchy, wouldn't you? So yeah, you wouldn't think. Yeah, it's, it's irritating talking to Dave because his phone keeps on going off and he keeps on dashing into Greg's with different moustaches on. Um, yeah, and the other thing is, director Mauro Borelli was initially surprised that a producer suggested that he cast Martin Lawrence, a comedian in this movie. Martin Lawrence is the executive producer of this film. <laughs> Yeah. So Martin Lawrence suggested he cast himself. <laughs> uh, it's weird, yeah. that, and he ended up getting the role. So odd. So it's just oh, the way these things, the way, the way these bits, bits of the jigsaw just fall into place. Eh? Uh, it's astonishing, isn't it? So yeah, mind cage, proper shit. Excellent. I watched Minority Report as well. Hey, okay. Uh, the year is 2054, and oh, no. the not not in real life in in this film, um, and this <laughs> oh, right. 
trio of psychics who can predict when a crime is about to take place. Tom Cruise plays a detective in pre-crime who's, and his job is to read the thoughts and then go to the scene before the crime happens. His boss is Max von Sydow and the department is being investigated by Colin Farrell in that slightly boring early phase of his career. Uh, anyway, Tom, one day he sees himself in a prediction and he's killing someone. So he's going to do a murder. So mm. he basically tries to cover it up and he goes on the run in this futuristic city to understand the meaning of this vision. And of course, to career directly into his apparently inescapable fate. Uh, and yeah, this is a good film. It's very exciting. And it's, uh, I'm glad you said it was good. Cause I, I've watched this a few times and, I, and I've always kind of really, really enjoyed it regardless of how often I watch it. Yes. It's very, very rewatchable and it's, and I think, and this is where it deviates from something like Adjustment Bureau, because it has a very smart and very playful script, um, which is really good at it finding inventive ways of explaining its rules and spreading the exposition across a cast of interesting characters. It's not just people in hats just explaining the rules. So, and it, so, and also the film is is like. The script is weighted in favour of ethical and moral questions more than the mechanics, which I think works well. I'd say the one area where the film doesn't work so well is the this sort of digital pre-vis aesthetic, which I think looks it seems to have dated very badly. Like it's a it's a very blue film, isn't it? It's like yeah, paycheck. Like yeah. Scenes are very they're horribly saturated with colour or they're just utterly consumed by light bloom and it gives it a kind of ugly plastic feel. Mm. So that hasn't worked out so well, but it doesn't really matter. You get Peter Stamari or Sormer turns up as this crazy Russian surgeon. And there's a great scene where Tom Cruise has his eyes replaced and he's effectively blind for 24 hours. <laughs> and He stumbles to the fridge and there's a comical thing where he's like trying to grab some food and he ends up, picking up this moldy sandwich and stuff that's all good and then it and then seconds later <clears> the, the film like shifts gear into this like massively perilous situation with these kind of robot spiders and it just it, it makes you remember like spielberg is so good at balancing tone getting that sort of stuff right and even though it's got this weirdly dated aesthetic visual aesthetic i'd say it's a very enjoyable and thought-provoking film. Again, Hallmark of Spielberg, like combining uh, just sheer enjoyment and action with actual themes. It's a really good, intense performance by Samantha Morton. And this film fits what we've discussed before, that ideal Tom Cruise arc, where he starts very smug, gets humbled, but then returns to the top, having learned some humility. So... Yeah, definitely fits the bill. It's a good, good film. Very rewatchable. Uh, I just it looks uh, a bit ugly at times. I am. Um, While well, you were talking, because I've always said Stamari, and I, I just typed into Google, how do you pronounce Peter Stamari? And it's got some things how to pronounce Peter Stamari. But you scroll down, and one of the top questions is, how do you say Peter? And it says, <laughs> break, break Peter down into the sounds P and T. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
say it out loud and exaggerate the sounds until you consistent can consistently produce them. And I thought, well, once most people in there, Peter. And then below that, it says it's some website called Youglish, and it says four thousand four hundred twenty-one pronunciations of how to say Peter. Bloody so, hell! I know this is fantastic. I didn't I didn't realize there was such depth to the. Well, I was just taking the word Peter as just a, a two-syllable tedious first name but there's there's so much so much richness in it's just four thousand pronunciations oh my goodness me should we start going through them now um with this p and t um (laughs) yeah i'm with you i I think it's a i kind of feel like in four years or something we'll we'll mention it on the podcast again because it is it's just too great it's like a it's a very brisk film as well yeah and and actually quite prescient when it comes to some of the technology, like uh, the whole thing about sort of personalised ads based on scanning your retina and stuff like that. I just think that kind of... And, and of course, like, you've got the computers controlled by gestures and things, which was, you know, quite... Cl- apparently they... I don't know. I think Spielberg himself got basically a bunch of futurists in a room... Uh, and basically said, right, let's map out what we think the world's going to look like in 50 years' time. And these are the things they came up with, and it's pretty bang on for the most part. Well, obviously, we're only halfway there, but you can kind of see a lot of this stuff happening, like nanotechnology and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's uh, yeah, Just in imagine... Ways, it's very far in the, this time. In the future, like a few actors sat there in a room where there's, if they look up, there's a retinal scanner that scans their eyes and then just... Shows them personalized adverts, and his army hammers the first person he looks up, and it scans it. It's like dooling, and then an advert comes up that everyone in the room can see, and it's you can buy blood online right now. <laughs> okay, and then next to him is Martin Lawrence who looks up, and it scans his eye, blooling, and it's you can download the Greg's app to your phone right now. And he's like, oh, okay, you need some serious like privacy <sighs> settings on that stuff because he does <sighs> literally walk into like a supermarket and it goes. Oh, hello, like out loud. Hello, John Anderson, wherever his name is. Do you want to buy this massive rib dildo or whatever? And it's like, really? Like, I'm not sure everyone, you know. Yeah. I, I Like, most people, I think, they go into a supermarket and, you know, they don't want to have small talk with the cashier even about their shopping. So they just go to the automatic checkout. And I think that's more like the direction. I'm not sure that everyone's going to be on board with the idea of having not just personalized but completely public adverts aimed at you discussing your uh private yeah. predilections anyway yeah. if he goes in kicks off at the manager saying i walked into this supermarket to pick up my shop my standard shopping and i was embarrassed when it scammed my retina and and i was out loud to all the other all the other consumers here you know and i was very embarrassed and like i'm so sorry sir and then it cuts to Tom Cruise at the end of his shopping and he throws his basket down in front of the cashier and there's just a courgette in there, a packet of condoms and a bottle of vinegar. (laughs) 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 I watched a a Godfrey Ho film called Secret Executioners, also called Hegelser. H-A-E-G-Y-E-O-L-S-A. Hegelsa. Let's call it Secret Executioners. Okay. Um, this is the best Godfrey Hall film I've seen. This is my last film. Um, I asked my brother who I watched it with. I said, oh, 
that film we watched, can you remember the plot? And he said, no, can't remember the plot. And I, as I was thinking to myself, oh, oh I remember now. <laughs> it's about an autistic Japanese detective who is asked to hunt down uh, a girl's missing sister. That's the plot. And then my brother sent me a link to IMDb where it says, bear in mind what I just said about an autistic detective tracking like a missing girl's case. The Yellow Tiger, a traditional family mob, begin to claw their way to leadership of the underworld through their ruthless handling of rival gangs. The violence spills into the streets where the law's failure to wipe it out enrages Song, an expert in unarmed combat. Song organizes his own gang to counterattack and destroy the Tiger's project. And I thought, that's not what I saw. <laughs> Those are not, not the events presented yeah. on screen. Yeah, so there's um, obviously everyone's called Steve, Jim, James, and Chuck and Sam. Um, <clears throat> this film is absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> it starts off, um, and no one is in frame. It's, it, it starts off in a really bizarre kind of squashed aspect ratio, and it's like some van on a hill, <clears throat> and two um, Japanese men get out and walk up to a Japanese man and a ginger white man who looks like Nick Offerman. This is 1982. And the first line of dialogue in the film is, well, you're a shit face. (laughs) And then they just start fighting. They just start fighting. And the ginger man gets beaten and kicked, beaten like to his knees and then just kicked down a hill. And the camera just like films him rolling down this hill. And then later on in the film, it cuts back to, a, like a Japanese mob boss saying, "You, I'm going to put you up against my best man. And it's this ginger bloke. And I thought, is it? Because all we've seen of that man is him being kicked down a banking, <laughs> really setting up to be like a main henchman. Um, so it starts off and it's just one of those classic Godfrey Ho where for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was kind of watching it. And I said to my brother, have we seen this before? And he said, he said, aha, no, but what Godfrey Ho is taken to doing now, he realized he's got a better memory than me, is he is now not just splicing multiple films together, like of stuff of like his film and then other films the production company has bought. He's also gone to reusing his own footage from other films he's done. So now I'm at the stage where I'm watching a film but I, it's a film I've seen bits of before because they are in another film of his in a different context. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Uh, uh, um, Amazing. There's, this is like, there, there, the lines of dialogue in this film just keep coming. There's there's this fight sequence that it just will cut people. Like I said, there's this autistic, I assume he's autistic. He doesn't make eye contact. He wears a big coat. He's really disheveled, but he's a really good fighter and he seems to be tracking down this woman. Uh, and, he will it'll cut to him shuffling around going to so many cafes rupert and bars and just sitting down and then being told to leave and then he'll just leave and then it'll cut to two blocks fighting and they'll they'll be fighting but then like milk like a milky froth will start coming out of their mouths like they're cyborgs and they're being they're like leaking as they're being beaten nothing's made of it just just that just happens um then it cuts to two people having a conversation and one of them says Oh, who do you think is kidnapping these women? What about what about that that man over there? He made a hundred thousand dollars selling eggs to prostitutes. 
and then it'll cut to something else. You're like, well, that's a very niche business model you mentioned. It. <laughs> um, the film is also just openly in fight scenes. The camera will just kind of sidle behind car makes because, and this car, a Ford Cortina Mark III 2000 GXL specifically, wow. constantly pops up and it's constantly being driven around and, and the camera will just sort of sit behind it and then the focus will shift from the fight to the car. It's clearly, oh they've clearly got advertising. So the car will be in the foreground and then it'll just go back to the fight. Um it's it's bewildering. It's absolutely bewildering. There's so much to, to to drink in from this film, and it ends with him finding this girl that's gone missing in a in like a shitty house, and then two gangs, the two gangs from the synopsis I just mentioned, turn turn up, and they get into this fight that lasts twenty minutes, right? And it this fight, if you imagine two gangs, and of course these people are the film is so kind of hacked up that, that you don't know if they've been in the film before or not. So it's just people like about 40 or 50 people fighting. You've got no, <laughs> you don't know who's on whose side, who's the main character. It's just men having a brawl. They start off fighting in this house. They fight their way outside. They fight down an airstrip and then they <laughs> fight, they fight into a tunnel and they end up fighting in a wine cellar. And it's only when the police turn up and say, can you stop fighting? And they're like, oh, okay. And they'll kind of file out. And then it just ends. And, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, I don't, I don't know. But I was so entertained throughout the whole film because it's, it's like someone editing a film just on Coke. There's no other way to describe it. It, it, it will cut, cut to unrelated scenes and more so in this than any of his other films. Secret Executioners is probably the best, well, certainly the best, most entertaining Godfrey Hall film I've seen so far. Um, it's that this, is quite the accolade. So much happens in it. There's a genuinely good fight in a in a disused beach house um, where it's like a lot of slow motion use, and again, it's clearly from just another film. And you think, oh, I kind of wish I was watching that film because that was quite well. Like I mean, when people talk, I can see both of their faces. It drew attention so. to yeah, it drew attention to, <laughs> to itself by both characters being in frame. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic, and I will watch that again. It was a good one. And, oh, there's and, also a scene where, sorry, the the person who hires this this is this is brilliant. The person at the start of the film, a kind of shady Japanese businessman who hires that kind of autistic shambling detective to track down this woman. After he hires him. There's a very pointed scene where he sits in his car and someone comes up and stabs him to death, stabs him in the chest until he is dead. And the camera settles on his face, his blood coming out of his mouth. He is dead. And the music does this kind of clash. It cuts. He's in the rest of the film. There's no, there's no, <laughs> it never gets mentioned. Brilliant. Stabbed to death. Oh my God. It, stabbed to death in a Ford Cortina Mark III 2000 GSL, a beige one as well. Wow, and if anyone wants to watch this, they can't watch it anywhere. No, they need to get a they need to get a Hollywood DVD. I'm afraid from a charity shop. They want to they want to settle their eyes on this magic. <laughs> um, or you can watch Double Team on Prime, which as I did recently. Um, 1997 action movie with John Claude Van Damme, Dennis Rodman, and Mickey Rourke. Um. The same director went on to direct JCBD in Knock Off the following year. The film oh, about the, exploding the, trousers. The film with dodgy trousers and a boat, yes. 
Um, yeah, so Jean-Claude plays some kind of agent in some kind of agency, and he is running a mission to take out Mickey Rourke, who is an ex-agent himself, but he's a bad guy now. Anyway, the mission goes wrong, and Mickey Rourke's son gets killed in the crossfire. Uh, what ensues is one of the most badly edited action scenes of all time, and ends up with Jean-Claude Van Damme waking up on a secret island where, which is populated by ex-agents, all presumed dead, who oversee the world's security. Okay. So (laughs) Jean-Claude escapes this island to hunt down Mickey Rourke with the help of the flamboyantly camp Dennis Rodman. By the way, neither Jean-Claude nor Dennis Rodman can speak English clearly. And so... That's the plot. How, how, how does Dennis Rodman talk then? Because I've seen this a very long he's time. Just ago. like I don't know. It's, I couldn't quite say it's a speech impediment. But he just kind of mumbles his lines. He just doesn't. He doesn't have. <laughs> just doesn't have good enunciation. Like, he, what can I say? He did go to the same acting school as um, Casey Affleck. Yeah, I remember reading. True, yeah. yeah. Um, so that whole, you know, that whole secret island subplot. Right. It's it's essentially completely irrelevant. Like. It's just a bit of an excuse for a bit more variety in the action, which is fine, I suppose. But it doesn't need to actually exist, as far as I can see. Anyway, this is a very watchable, enjoyable film because it never stops being nonsensical. And there's just constant action, really stylized action. And you can see the director trying to be inventive in the action scenes, but the totally just terrible editing too often gets in the way of any good ideas and i suppose we could say this is the beginning of the decline for john claude 97 uh, and i'm not sure i saw his ass at any point oh. so that's disappointing but it's so narratively and editorially chaotic that it kind of demands to be seen to be believed so it's yeah it's not up there with his finest work but enjoyable in a completely ridiculous way. It, this this is such a because I remember watching this like I, and I didn't question it because I would have watched this when I was fourteen. Again, this mm. is this is one from my video shop days. I would have watched this and not questioned it. Thought a oh, great action film, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'd love to watch it again because you were talking then, and I was scanning. The plot is is like about eight paragraphs on I on Wikipedia, right? And it's so funny because when you scan down it, certain things pop up that kind of highlight how bonkers it is because it's like after retrieving a load of plutonium goes yeah. to antwerp quirky arms dealer assisted by an order of monks you're like, like what? Yes. what oh my and god it, yeah, there's a whole scene where it's like a bunch of monks all like hacking into computers and stuff and there's this kind of like it's a one joke skit really because basically they're just like for example they go up to one of the hacker monks and He's got like some porn on the screen and he's trying to like alt tab to a different, uh, different window or whatever. No, we won't do this. ridiculous. And it, yeah, the joke is, is that they're all just, not, they don't really act like monks at all. It's just like bizarre things like that. But yes, I mean, it, it definitely has a sense of humour. I think it knows how ridiculous it is and so do all the actors and that's that's fine. It's it's an enjoyable film, but also utterly insane. Um, I noticed as well that when you were talking then, down the bottom it says, Dennis Rodman is Yaz, an eccentric arms dealer. Yaz is based in or near Antwerp and boasts 
that he stocks military hardware so new that even he does not know he has it. That just kind of reeks of poor stock taking, really, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's not. Yeah. A, it doesn't really say anything else. Yeah, it's bad, just bad stock management. Isn't uh, it? Uh, yeah, have, you, have you got an Uzi? I, I don't know. I'll have to look. And you're like, well, that's just that's just poor sales. I've got this thing. It looks a bit like an Uzi, but I don't know what it does. I don't know what bullets it fires. It looks a bit like an Uzi, and it's like, no, that's a picture of Gary Boozy. It doesn't look like it. It sounds like it. He's like, oh, I'm always kind of my senses mixed up. I'm so quirky. Um, yes, definitely watch that. I wouldn't say it's my. What well, is it? My film of the week? No, my Minority Report probably is. I would say because it's actually the best film I saw in this period. Funny. Where did you see Double Team? Because I actually quite fancy this. That's on Prime. Good. Of course it is. Why did I ask? Um. Yeah, to a film of the week, Minority Report. Is it? Do you feel like it's a week? Week when you say that it's your favourite film is? Yes, because normally it's it's probably the highest profile. Uh, no, I suppose like one could probably Yeah, I, I've watched some pretty mm. middling films. I'd have to say this week, but yes, Minority Report holds up very well. <coughs> I mean, well, Double my... Team. Although I suppose I should say Double Team as well because yeah, I, that's the hidden gem. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, a rough, rough cut gem, I would say. I, an, an uncut gem from 40 years ago, starring Adam Sandler, with no grain as here. Um, I would say my film of the week is, is Shakedown slash Blue Jean Cop, because well, yeah. Secret Executioners is the best Godfrey Hole film, but uh, Blue Jean Cop is generally, as we said earlier yes. on, it's a film that like people really need to watch. It's a, it's a great 80s cop movie. Yeah, um, I'd say from our shared <clears> list, then yeah. <clears throat> Blue Jean Cop, yeah. Um, this leads us to the Arkansas, which mm-hmm. is was was John Voigt to Richard E. Grant. Uh, do you want to do yours first? Yeah, I found this one surprisingly difficult, uh, but of course I went with the tried and trusted route of <laughs> um, ensemble casts. So John Voigt is in Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise, who's in Mission Impossible colon Dead Reckoning, not Part One anymore, um, with Carrie Elwes who's in Bram Stoker's Dracula with Richard Grant. So it's three oh, step. nice. Nice three-stepper. So we've got, we've got um, uh, Laszlo, uh, occasional co-host and constant lover, says, good morrow. I have a mediocre Arkansas answer for you. John Voigt was in Mission Impossible with Ving Rhames, who was in Pulp Fiction with Bruce Willis, who was in Hudson Hawk with Richard E. Grant. Oh, nice. That's, nice. that's a three-stepper. That's a three-stepper. Waxy O'Connor says Richard E. Grant is in Saltburn, good, with yes. Barry Keoghan, yes. who's in The Banshees of Inisherin, good, with Colin yeah. Farrell, who's in yeah. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, bad, with John White. <laughs> um, okay. So a, a new a new entry for Edward Wellband, who says John Voight was in National Treasure with Sean Bean, who was in How to Get Ahead in Advertising with Richard E. Grant. Was he really? Apparently so. <clears throat> so Ed Wellband is 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 one of the winners for this week. But then we had an interesting. I call this a story of three parts from our regular Utah Smith, mm-hmm. um, who who sent me a message at half ten, an excitable message when he's out um, having drinks. Then he sent me a message a few minutes later, correcting himself. Then he sent me a message at seven thirty the following morning. And I want to see if you can tell the difference in just tone and delivery between them, okay? <laughs> Got it. Yeah, Stu and I are drinking White Russians in the Old Town Inn, and we got it. We discussed it between us. 
So we got Richard E. Grant. He's in Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis, who's in the whole nine yards with Ving Rames. No, it's not Ving Rames. It's not Ving Rames. It's Michael Clark Duncan. Hang on, back to the drawing board. <laughs> got it. Still using, still using Ving Rames. Right. So we got Richard E. Grant is in Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis, who is in Pulp Fiction with Ving Rames, who is in The First Mission Impossible with John Voight. There you go. Three stepper. I opened my eyes this morning. <laughs> just knowing, just knowing what today is going to be. Just the anxiety, the fear. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> for those of you, for those of you who didn't quite catch what he said, then it was, I opened my eyes this morning. And I knew, I just knew what today was going to be, the anxiety and the fear. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, think he might, I think he might have overindulged. Um, but, yeah, so that was a three-stepper. Uh, thank you, Utah, as always. Um, and so the winner this week is Edward Wellband, which means the audience have won, which means that you are nothing, Rupert. You are nothing, nothing, really? nothing. Um, so... We've done our films of the week. We've done the Arkans. Now, thank you all for entering. If you want to enter, um, follow us um, at Kino Kingdom on Twitter or email us at themenwhotalkitoutlook.com. And, Rupert, what are we going to do for next week's Arkans now? What are you feeling? Mm, that is a Babe. question, isn't it? Uh, Mickey Rourke. Oh, okay. You said that pretty quickly. You know, I was going to go someone from Blue Jean Cop, but um, that's it's, it's too. Uh, it's and I can't say Martin Lawrence because I got a feeling there's there's a link there through Iron Man or something. <sighs> okay, I'm going to say Mickey Rourke two. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't move away from it. I'm going to say Mickey Rourke to Sam Elliott. Okay. Yeah, Mickey wrote to Sam Elliott. Um, so yeah, that's uh, th- that's everything. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Kino Kingdom eighty four. I'm sorry that I've got yet another cold. I blame everyone apart from myself. Um, it's weird because I wake up every morning and I, I just drink a smoothie, and then all I do all day is yoga and praying. So I don't know why. I don't know why I'm constantly like yeah. I'm si- I'm si- you know how I am, Rupert. When I when I'm at home or when I'm in company, I sit like richly dressed in a full suit. I've never, I've never exposed the elements for any reason, so I don't know why I'm constantly ill. Well, um, yeah, we did spend a three day weekend in uh, Aberdeer recently, and I, I'm pretty sure you're in your pants the entire time. <laughs> I was yes. Um, uh, Even I, when you uh, left the house to go home. Yeah, even when the police bundled me into that van, I was still <laughs> yeah. refused to put any socks on, didn't I? I was keen. Uh, stick to my guns. So, is that, have you got anything else, Rupert? Next week, have you got anything lined up, or are we ready to put the gun in our mouth, spin the chamber, and blow our brains out? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're going to go with the old Russian roulette on this one. Um, I Nothing nothing lined up specifically. So, uh, right then, so. Comes up. Next week, just a troll prime. Hopefully, another JCVD because he's been a recurring um, feature on the last three episodes. And I will watch Double Team, and I will go to sleep tonight, and I will love you in my dreams. I'm gonna go onto Plex, filter by good films, and then do it reverse order. 
worst to best and <laughs> go from there. Okay, well, will you have a good night then? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys. Party on, guys.